Welcome back to the Highway Health Podcast, and thanks for connecting with us again on Podwheels, powered by Radio Nemo. In this edition of the podcast, Dr. Clayton Cole from the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, will be discussing medical exams for professional drivers. Dr. Cole will also address the training of the professionals who perform the driver medical exams and the changes that are coming from the FMCSA for medical examiners working with professional drivers. Dave Nemo will be your host for this edition of the Highwood Health Podcast. And now it's time to hand it off to Dave for his feature interview with Dr. Clayton Cole from the Mayo Clinic. And Dr. Clayton Cole is with us here this morning. Dr. Cole, good morning, and I don't think it's too late to say Happy New Year. Well, thank you, Dave. It's good to be back, and hi to all the truckers out there that are moving to America. And as I mentioned, you are one of them as well because you have a CDL and you use it with the McRae's U.S. Mail Service. Pretty busy run this season? Yeah, as usual, you pray that you aren't on the runs with the worst weather. But that, no, it's all good. Does that ever happen uh, in Minnesota? Well, what are you talking about? I know, it's shocking. Absolutely <laughs> shocking. But dodging tornadoes in the south, probably, and up here, it's just a matter of how hard it snows. So. Yeah, you pick your poison and takes your chances, huh? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. The topic today, the official topic, is the multiple changes going on for you guys in the medical examiner world coming out of FMCSA. That may affect some drivers, so everybody should really pay attention here. But I kind of wanted to ask you about the Mayo Clinic's program for training healthcare providers. You are the course director for that, so you teach the examiners. Yeah, a lot of the drivers uh, have been around for a while. I think they remember when the FMCSA created the NRCME, the National Registry of Certified Medical Examiners. So there was a notice of proposed rulemaking that went out, and that final rule was May of 2014. After that date in May in 2014, if you wanted to get a valid medical, you needed to see someone who had taken an approved course and pass an examination and had a national registry number. And then each state had their own kind of self-certification form. Basically, you're attesting you either do or don't need a medical for the type of driving that you do, depending on if you drove ag or if you were doing interstate versus intrastate, et cetera. It sort of created a cottage industry for various organizations to do the training. And it was kind of the first time that a federal agency did not host their own training. For example, the FAA, if you're a designated flight examiner, aviation medical examiner with the FAA, you have to be designated by the FAA and attend their course. Typically, the beginning course is down in Oklahoma City at the Mike Moroni Aeronautical Center down there. But for FMCSA, it's a 10 time larger scale in terms of number of examiners that needed to be trained. There was an expectation of 40,000 examiners or more. The FAA has somewhere a little under 400,000 exams a year that are done, whereas the FMCSA has closer to 4 million exams in a year. So they opened it up to private organizations to coordinate courses. Well, we knew at Mayo that for a lot of examiners, MDs, DOs, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, and chiropractors that can do the examinations, for the most part, the closest some of those folks got to a truck was passing one on the freeway. So 
quote, our strategy was, hey, they need to get to know this is more than a Boy Scout physical, that this is serious business and you have to be on your A game every minute you're in that truck driving. And there are a lot of physical aspects to trucking that a lot of people that aren't familiar with it have no idea. They don't know the little nuances between the guys that are doing flatbed hauling are probably working a lot harder strapping up and doing that than some of the guys that are no-touch drive vans. It just depends on the type of driving, the type of trucks. We actually brought a truck and trailer to every one of our courses that we had across the country. We would pick cities that were within around a 300-mile radius of a major airport. So we had courses coast to coast. We did courses in Sacramento and Portland and Denver and Dallas, Nashville. Didn't get down in New Orleans, but I think we were in Little Rock once. We were down in Florida a couple times. Up the coast, we were in Harrisburg, PA, Raleigh-Durham. So we were all over the country with the course because there was a lot of examiners to get trained. And ultimately, we ended up training a little under 10% of all the examiners in the country. So we felt good. We had a truck and trailer, and we'd take the class outside kind of idea and have a shared experience. We had to get up in the truck. We'd get probably five or six volunteers, flip the hood open, and someone just to kind of simulate what a pre-trip would be like. So we'd have one person try to put the glad hands on and crank the landing gear, bang on the tires, and have them realize that on an empty trailer, you tap that inside dually. I mean, there's more to it than just eyeballing it and making sure that you don't have a flat. If those wheels are heating up, it's not that difficult to have a fire. So I think it was sort of jaw-dropping to a lot of folks. And we wanted to make sure they knew what end of the truck went forward when they left the course. It was a lot of fun. And then we go back inside with that shared experience. I think they had a lot more appreciation. One of the drivers, can I mention the specific company, uh, was Heartland Express. They have a terminal down in Jacksonville. They had uh, a couple of times helped us out. We had it at the Mayo Clinic campus down in Jacksonville. And they actually had drivers come and talk during the course about some of the frustrations on the road. I remember in Wisconsin, Dells, Wisconsin once, the drivers were telling us that it's stuff that you can't control that's very frustrating. You got a family event going on and you really want to get back home and the dispatch or if you're a owner operator, you got to grab a load or deadhead back home to do that, which costs you some money. Or what you got going from a dispatcher is going the opposite way, a very impotent sort of feeling and a feeling of frustration. And or you show up on time to your destination and someone is there to open a gate or get you offloaded or whatever. And I think it was just really eye opening for those examiners to understand some of the stresses that go on in the industry. Wow. Thank you very much. You really walked us through that. And I hope folks were listening and I hope they are gratified that when you train these doctors, it really gets kind of a hands-on thing. You're not just looking at somebody in an office. You're really looking at them out on the road, in a sense, of course, vicariously in that truck, doing a pre-check, bumping those tires and stuff like that to get a better assessment of the environment that drivers live in, which is a completely different world. As you say, shocked a lot of folks when you were going through the training. Absolutely. I mean, of course, we go through all the different parts of the exam. I mean, the people attending these kind of courses, I mean, are taking care of patients regularly. It's not like a bunch of medical students. But I think looking at it through the eyes of a driver and trying to understand why drivers get kind of nervous and worked up about it because it's their livelihood on the line. If they don't have the medical, they aren't driving. Everyone knows the wheels aren't turning. You're not getting paid. So I think putting yourself in someone else's shoes for a little while and understanding some of the stresses, it's not just 
oh yeah, I step up three steps and sit all day. I think everyone knows there's a lot more to it than that. Between that and just keeping track of the rules and regulations, when you can drive, when you can't drive, all of those things, it's a heady business to know how to survive in it for multiple different reasons. So now we have a standardized exam of everybody's on the same page. There was a lot of pushback on that in the early days, too, because it was a real fear. And as you mentioned, you're going for four million exams. So, man, that's going to take a lot of people to do those exams. Where are they going to be? And there was a lot of trepidation about the fact that if you live in Wyoming, you're never going to find a doctor and that sort of thing. That didn't take too long to kind of ease off, though, did it? It kind of smoothed out, did it? Yeah, well, I think the good news, bad news thing is it created a cottage industry, but the problem was it created a cottage industry. You'd get these quasi-experts that would stand up a course. There was demand in that area, and some of the stuff that they taught was maybe not exactly all per the book, or that was true. And so the FMCSA caught wind of that, and they started getting a ton of calls from examiners, sort of the switchboard falling off the wall kind of moment. And they, after probably three years into it, basically pulled the plug on all the courses and said, okay, we're going to do one centralized electronic course because we just don't want bad information getting put out there to these medical examiners for both ways, meaning that examiners that were kind of learning rules that really weren't there and DQing drivers that didn't need to be disqualified. And flip side, drivers with problems that really needed to be taken care of that they were just sort of blowing off and giving them a certificate that probably didn't deserve one. So I think it went both ways and they tried to reel it in. What ended up happening was they needed to produce an online course because the way the Code of Federal Regulations was written, the way the final rule was passed, every five years, examiners needed to take a renewal course And every 10 years, they had to pass an examination, a proctored examination in order to stay on the registry. So what's going on is at the five-year mark, they still didn't have a course that was ready to roll. So they ended up just publishing a thing saying, we're exempting all the examiners at the five-year mark until we kind of get one that's up to par out there. Now, that's what's new coming up. They have a course that they created that counts for that recertification exam that everyone has to do. They're sort of saying, okay, everyone that is more than five years out from their original registry need to take that recertification training. And then for the 10-year one, for those that are coming up on the 10-year one, you can go back to any organization as long as it's approved. So we'll probably be back in the saddle again teaching examiners how to do the exam right. And then, of course, at the 10-year mark, you still have to take that exam. And it's like one of those testing centers where the real estate people are taking their exam and the general contractor exam and that sort of thing. They're in mini malls and places like that. You go in, you get a couple hours to take an exam, and it's not a mind-blowing exam or anything like that, but it is something that you kind of have to be up on what's going on with it in order to pass it. So like any exam, I'm sure medical examiners, they get nervous just like the driver gets nervous coming in for their medical evaluation. So those are kind of some of the changes going on out there is this kind of reopening training again and then reminding the examiners that if they don't have that test done by the end of this year, if they were the first ones to get certified like 2012, 2013, then they come off the registry. So for the drivers out there, 
it's important that they make sure when they're setting up a physical later this year, if they're due later this year, they know that their examiner's on the registry still, that they haven't been taken off the registry. Because if they have, they go with that registry number to the state licensing agency and you get a, whoops, that number is not valid. You don't want to be that guy that gets stuck with that. So. Yeah, and that letter goes to your house and you're in Buffalo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. 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 Is this sort of a wow moment for you? Because it is sort of a wow moment for me to hear this machination going on in the background now. Well, I mean, we're here from the government. We're here to help, right? You know, I mean, it's just at least the drivers out there know that they can kind of chuckle and go, well, at least it's not just CSA side of things, but that sort of thing. It's, it's the medical side, too. So, I mean, it's hard. I mean, in credit to the people that are trying to run the medical part of the agency. I mean, they've had issues, but now have hired a chief medical officer who's doing good work. When you're talking about over 40,000 examiners nationally now, I don't know that they're all active, but they're on the registry, and you're dealing with 4 million exams. I mean, that's a heavy lift. I think the system works in most cases. I mean, everyone's got a horror story to share of drivers that got disqualified for kind of thin reasons, or the other way around, they got a medical, and maybe they shouldn't have got a medical. But I mean, the system overall seems to work pretty well. Given the scale, I mean, you're not going to cross every T dot, every I, every time either. Well, there's so much more. I mean, compared to, say, a flight physical for the FAA, which is a much proscribed where the FAA says, okay, if they've got these kinds of things, you have to defer it to us to make a decision. The FMCSA is kind of the other end of the spectrum. They're saying it's up to the medical examiner to make the call. With that comes a lot more potential liability. If someone's got a certain type of heart arrhythmia and is high risk to have a incapacitation while driving and that person does, that happens and they crash into a school bus or a church or whatever, there's potential liability. And so different providers, different organizations that hire providers have different philosophies about a number amount of risk that they want to take with drivers on the road. It's kind of like your own insurance for something happens to the truck. Someone's got a really bad driving record. I mean, some insurance companies, they're an 11-foot driver. You don't want to touch them with a 10-foot pole. There's nothing unusual about it in that sense, but it's interesting, I think, for drivers to hear from the other side of the exam table or the other side of the gurney on the way of doing the forensic exam like DOT, FMCSA exam, where they're coming from on that. Well, where we are right now may not be perfect, of course. It never will be because we're human, but it's a lot better than the sign at the truck stop that says DOT physicals while you wait. <laughs> yeah, across the country, there are a variety of places. Thank you so you much, have... Dr. Clayton Cole, as always, for being with us. And thanks for the history and the insight, too, in terms of how the whole National Registry came to be, how the Mayo training program came to be, and how we've kind of pulled up and then pulled back and now pulling back up again as we continue here throughout the new year. Looking forward to having you with us on the program real soon, if we can. All right. That sounds great. Have a great week, everyone. Take care. And just a moment, you mentioned the FAA, you mentioned pilot exams a number of times here this morning. I just want to tell folks that you are also part of the Mayo Clinic Pro Pilot Program, and you're part of the Aerospace Medicine Department there as well. So uh, you kind of cover transportation and land, sea, and air, right? 
Yeah, well, it is the section of transportation medicine, so we do kind of cover the old trains, planes, and automobiles, right? So, gotcha. Anyway, always happy to be here and happy to talk to brother and sister truckers out there. That closes out this edition of the Highway to Health Podcast. We would like to take this opportunity to thank you once again for spending part of your day with us on Pod Wheels, powered by Radio Nemo. Now, folks, you can always find the Highway to Health Podcast through Pod Wheels, powered by Radio Nemo. And let's tell you about a few of the outlets where the podcast is available. You can listen to all of the episodes of the Highway to Health Podcast through our website. Or you can subscribe to the podcast through all of the major podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, iHeart, Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. Just go to wherever you get your podcast and search Highway to Health. The Highway to Health Podcast is a production of Pod Wheels, powered by Radio Nemo.